This is a talk by Todd Corbett, titled Awareness of Neediness, recorded January 21st, 2007 at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. I wanted to mention a few books that reflect some of the material that I'll be talking about this morning. One of them is The Spectrum of Ecstasy. It's a very clear book presenting a way of using emotions to come in direct contact with our true nature. Emotions are very deceiving for us because we tend to identify with them. And it is our identity with the emotions that gets us into all kinds of trouble. And then we're not able to really appreciate the emotions as they actually are. Notice the title. There's a reason he uses that word ecstasy. Our emotions are ecstatic when we allow them to actually show themselves. And usually, though, when we aren't allowing them to show themselves and we aren't seeing them as they truly are, they're frightening, they're troubling. And then another book that is along the same lines is this book called Introduction to Tantra by Lama Yeshe. And both of these books, by the way, are, are Tibetan Buddhism. And this is a more basic book in some ways, but still basic in, in this business when we start talking about basic. It's really hard to differentiate between what's basic and what's, you know, the, the, the deepest teachings. Anyway, this introduction to Tantra is a nice introduction, a good book to read prior to reading The Spectrum of Ecstasy. Now, I have several other books here, and I'm not going to really discuss them. I chose them, actually, because of their titles. Kind of get you in the frame of what I'll be talking about this morning. This one, the title is Primordial Experience. And that's what this is. We're having it constantly. We don't know it's primordial because we, we're living in time. We're not recognizing that what this is is timeless. It's primordial. Now, this one I like. This is by uh, Nagagpa Chogyam. It's the same guy that wrote uh, Spectrum of Ecstasy. This one is Wearing the Body of Visions. So this may have more meaning to you uh, after I've given my little talk this morning, but this is wonderful. That's what we're doing. We, we are this emptiness, this awareness. And we are wearing these images. We're wearing these visions. And they become very concrete to us. But they never are anything more than an image. And finally, this one called The Basic Space of Phenomena. And that kind of tells us something. Phenomena is space. So now before we get started in our little talk here, I'd like to meditate for about 10 minutes. And the meditation that we do here at the center uh, usually on Sunday mornings, is a, is a basic breath meditation. Just relax, sit up kind of erect, so that our body doesn't become a distraction to us. 
and let our hands sort of relax in our lap so they're not a distraction for us. Allow our eyes to just remain a little open and just relax, not gazing at anything in particular, just letting some light in, not focusing on anything. And then we become aware here at the center we like to use the breath. And the breath is just the sensations of the movement of breathing. We become aware of this movement, and if we are truly aware of it, we are dwelling now. We're not living in thoughts. We're not living in a future or a past. We're not even living in now. We're just here. There is just awareness. So we feel the movement as it is arising and passing away. And as we do this practice, suddenly the mind will start thinking. And if you notice what is happening in that moment, you just notice thought recognize thought and without reacting to it like, oh darn, I'm thinking. Recognize that movement, that emotional response to thought being there too. Recognize it's just happening. And then return to the movement of the sensations of breathing. Breath arises all by itself. You don't have to do anything to produce a breath. We aren't trying to control the breath or do anything with it. We simply want to be aware of the movements, of the sensations as they arise moment by moment. So I'm going to ring the gong once to indicate that we're beginning and twice to indicate that we're done. If you wish to follow our format, stop your player now and practice until you're familiar with these instructions. Then start your player again and continue with the program.
you notice how the mind has a mind of its own? How it just comes in and starts talking, telling you how it is? That's a really valuable thing to see. And when you do practice like this on a regular basis, you become very accustomed to seeing this and it's, it, it shows you something very important. We need to recognize that this mind is not who we are. It's not actually what we are. It is arising out of us, but it isn't us. And our real problem is that we believe it is us. When it starts going, there I am, that's me. And the more it gets going, the more you start, you'll notice these actions will start arising in response to the thoughts. So the thoughts and the actions become locked together. And so then we now not only have a mind that has a mind of its own, but a body that has a mind of its own. That's an old coat. Anybody need this for their legs, by the way? It's kind of chilly. Anybody? an old coat. There is a story that's been told over and over in mystical traditions, probably all mystical traditions, but I've heard it in Buddhism, I've heard it in Hinduism. It's the story of a beggar, a very poor person that lives in a little hut and he only has kind of a, a little skirt that he wears and an old coat. And that's all he has. And he struggles day to day to try to get enough to eat. And he's always striving to find something that could save him from this wretchedness of poverty that he is lost in. But he doesn't realize that somewhere along the way a priceless jewel was sewn into his old coat. So his old coat just looks like a rag. It's got a priceless jewel sewn into it. And this is a metaphor for all of us as we struggle along trying to find happiness, trying to find peace of mind, trying to feel better, trying to come to terms with a very difficult circumstance. Loved ones have died. The political situation is less than what we'd like to see. 
the economy is bad, our jobs not very good, we got a grumpy boss, whatever it is. And we don't realize that there's no reason to suffer. We don't recognize it because we are missing, just like the beggar, we're missing the jewel. Where is this jewel? It would be great if we could just go to our coat and somehow rip open the fabric and, ah, there it is. But it really is that simple and that direct if we simply focus ourselves a little bit and begin an honest investigation. The jewel is here, always. The problem that we have is that we are the jewel. We don't recognize that we are the jewel because we have a lot of stories about who we are and what the world is. We don't recognize what is here because we have expectations about what is here. We have images that we have laid over everything. But if we could possibly suspend those images, let go of our ideas about things, we could see that there is something here that is immaculate, shining. It's not what we thought at all. It's incomprehensible to the mind. But we are identified with this mind, and so we go, it's incomprehensible to me. So we're a little confused about who we are. That's kind of the problem. Now, we're ignoring aspects of our experience. We're ignoring the fact that whenever we strive to get something that we want, it never works. We want to go to Hawaii. We're planning it for six months. We're looking forward to it. And as it gets closer and closer, we become more excited. We can't wait. We're going to be there for three weeks. And it's going to be wonderful. And we're going to be able to go out in the surf and swim with the dolphins or whatever. And it's going to be wonderful. And then finally the day arrives we get on our little flight and we're there we are, Hawaii. The beautiful sunshine, it's warm, and we're thinking about those poor folks back home <laughs> dealing with the cold and the wet. And here we are, basking in the sun. And before we know it, two weeks have already gone. We've been having such a great time. And then we start thinking, oh, it's only five more days. And then we start to kind of pull in a little bit. It's like, oh, it's going. And before we know it, we're on our flight back and we're thinking, we're trying to, we're going, we've got all these wonderful memories. And we're thinking about how great it was. And boy, we're going to tell all our friends everything about what happened. And then we get back home and we do all that. And then 
a week or so later, we're sitting at home, we're watching the television set. Our life is mundane. Somehow, we feel just as, just as crummy as we did before we ever went to Hawaii. So that's kind of perplexing to us. Now the other side of that is we're at work. We're having a bad day. We got up in the morning. We didn't have any coffee. There was no cereal. We got in our car and it's, and it's running really rough. There's something wrong and we're worrying about it breaking down on the highway. Finally we get to work. We go in. Our boss is mad because we're late. And he's mad at you and he's yelling at you all day long. And you get out from work. You get in your car. You're driving home. It's bumper to bumper. You're listening to the radio and you're just depressed. You're angry. Suddenly someone swerves in front of you. You have to slam on your brakes. And now you are mad and you're yelling and you're seething and your blood pressure is probably 180 over 110. And there you are. You're miserable. Why? There's a reason. And it has something to do with the same reason that you couldn't find happiness in your trip to Hawaii. We think this is happening to us in a very literal and dynamic way. When we are facing calamity, the first thing that comes up for us in most cases is some form of fear. The reason that we are afraid when things don't go well for us is because there's something about it's dissing our images of who we think we are. And whenever our images start to slip away, well, what's left? Well, nothing's left. And it's frightening. We'll just get a surge of... And before we know it, if we aren't watching and we aren't able to watch and pay attention, we have filled it in with something else. In most cases, fear becomes anger almost immediately. Whenever we experience anger, we're actually experiencing a manifestation of fear. Fear arises and suddenly we're moving to somehow get rid of the fear in a split second it becomes anger. Now we're angry. Now we don't really like anger either so the next movement is then to teeter off of that and to find someone to blame. And this is an interesting process because it goes on all day long in little ways. The process of being angry and wanting someone to blame, even if there's nothing to blame, you can blame the anger. I was so mad that I was mad. <laughs> we get angry at all of these things that are going on. We actually have no control over them at all. There's really no reason to be angry. But we aren't terrified to know that. 
we can't control it. We can't stop it. Nothing we can do. If we try to stop it, we create more stuff coming out from the sides. When we experience anger, we are immediately experiencing a sense of me. And then when we begin to blame, we're blaming someone else. So we create this duality of me over here and this over here. And even when it's, we're blaming our, our own anger, the anger is over there. It becomes an object to us. We see the anger. It's an image. That mad guy. I don't like that guy that's mad, even though it's me. And so we, we, be, we get kind of, kind of crazy with this stuff. And we do it in a, in a, in a, uh, scurried attempt to keep from seeing what is underneath all of it. This struggle to be happy, this struggle to get away from our difficulties is our identity. It's actually who we think we are. We don't notice what the struggle is struggling in. There is this immaculate jewel, this open, spacious consciousness, which actually has no name. There's no name for anything that really is what it is. They're just names. They're just words. But when we stop and we look, we see we don't know what this is at all. And of course, once again, there is fear. Because we, we have to know what stuff is. We're very insecure if we don't know. It's a big piece of this little puzzle that we've somehow found ourselves in. So blaming is a way of ignoring what is here. It's a way of getting away from the anger that we're experiencing. And the anger is a way of getting away from the fear that we're experiencing. So what would it be like to just experience fear directly, immediately? We'd see the, the movements of the mind come in and try to deal with it in some reactive way. But if they are recognized and through meditation practices, we, we can learn to do this. We can see the mind basically is just running by itself. And all we need to do is if we don't identify with this mind, we can then see it as it is. As long as it's my mind, then we're seeing it through that lens and we can never actually see it as it is because it's my mind. Then I have a certain judgment about it because it's me. We just keep creating this thing over and over again. So whenever we find ourselves resisting anything, that's the mind. That's not you. It's conditioned to be this way. The resistance is conditioned to be there. And as long as you continue to go, I feel this way, I take these thoughts and these emotions on as mine, then you will continue to run in this little circle. 
and you will be stuck. And this is what uh, the Eastern religions term samsara, the spin. But all of this spin is extra. And as, as we become more and more aware of the spin, we begin to become aware of what is actually here. What is actually here is clear, open, spacious, and aware. And it feels wonderful in itself. It has no problems. Anger, when it is seen clearly, and all of the stories just are recognized and just evaporate off, is recognized to be this clear, mirror-like wisdom that reflects the world perfectly. All images that come in, they aren't, they have nothing to do with some little me. They are, there are images, there are all kinds of images, but they are flowing. And we never make this mistake confusing the images for anything actually coming into existence. In Tibetan Buddhism, afflicted emotions, things like anger, pride, envy, desire, all of these are termed afflicted because they are mine. They, they have to do with me and my emotions. The sense of me is actually pure emotivity, dancing. And if we can just recognize this without our stories, we could actually have a direct recognition that this is the case. So in the case of the old coat with the jewel hidden, we simply need to stop hiding from that jewel, from that gem. And the best way to do this is to begin to start to pay attention. Initially, if, if we haven't got some kind of a um, meditative practice, our attention will usually be fragmented. And we won't be able to actually see what's going on. Or if we get a glimpse, very quickly the mind will fill it in with something. And, and we won't be able to actually stay with what we're observing. So developing a meditation practice is really crucial to, for, for some of us. You know, some people have a very clear mind. <laughs> they don't need to meditate. They're actually very rare. There are not that many people that are able to let the mind just dwell in emptiness just off the bat. A lot of us need, especially in this culture, we're so busy. We have so much going on. And we really need to take a little time and just sit quietly. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, once a day, twice a day. 
And then we will, we will, you know, it's funny, it's like whatever we spend all our time focusing on becomes all that we care about. So if we're constantly on our computer or constantly at work or constantly doing stuff, that's all we ever see. That's all we'll ever be aware of. So it's helpful to break that, to have a little period where we're just sitting in quietness, watching the breath, not trying to get anything, just watching, listening. We find after a while that this process of listening is not something that we're doing. It's something that was already happening. It's already happening. You don't have to do it. The problem is that we have created, conditioning has created, all of these streams of energy, habituations, that pull the attention away from this fact, from this reality. And when we cultivate this little quietness, all the rest of this stuff is seen through this eye. It's like this eye and all this stuff is swirling around it, kind of like, you know, like Joel uses the metaphor of a hurricane. You've got this hurricane and it's swirling all this stuff around. Right in the middle, there's this eye. It's very still in there. It's sort of a, it's a good analogy for getting a sense of this. There is no I there. It's just stillness. But it gives us the sense that there's something there. The self, me. Once this stillness, this I, becomes aware of all this other stuff, it's like it, it incorporates it. It's all stillness. It begins to see its own nature in all of this. It begins to realize there is nothing but this awareness. Everything is arising in this awareness. You see something across the room. Across the room is a creative manifestation of consciousness. That sense of across the room is manifesting out of your consciousness. Now this isn't theoretical. This is our direct experience when we pay attention, when we look. We get the sense that there are, we're, we're like a little creature inside of a body looking out through two little peepholes at a world. And this is what we grow up to believe, and it, it's very strong. It's a very strong belief pattern. It's a habituation. It was learned. But in fact, when we do these practices, we begin to see that this is just learned. We, we can recognize all of this stuff is just arising and passing away. What is here is that stillness. It is what is aware. It is eternal. It is timeless. 
So mystical teachings often say, well, the world is not real. There is no self. But you see, that doesn't really help us. We need to know this directly for ourselves. I know for myself, the first, probably the first four or five years that I spent when I used to come to the center all the time and check out books and stuff, I was suffering. I had a lot of reasons to suffer. I was unhappy. I had people dying in my life constantly. And I just didn't know what to do with it. It was just overwhelming. So I came here and I did find some solace in the teachings. I would read the teachings and I'd read things like, there is no self, there are no things. And it would make me feel better for a few minutes. But then, you know, then it's like, well, I still feel really bad. And then I would do the practices. And what I would find is when I'd really sit and be very still, there would be these moments where suddenly there was a knowing. There was a recognition of something. Suddenly there was this lightness. Now I know many people in this room have had that experience. And it's that lightness, when that, when that happens for us, that's a moment where we're not thinking about our experience. We are our experience. We are, we are beingness itself. And the mind settles down a lot. And then when it, when the mind moves back in, there is this calm. And we can then use the mind to basically work with our misunderstandings. So we then, we have this steady attention and we can then examine bits of our experience and recognize the truth within them. So rather than say that there is no self, let's do a little experiment here. Just for a moment, imagine that, that all of your beliefs about everything have got up and went. They're gone. If you don't have any thoughts or beliefs, who are you? What are you? You see, every, every idea of what you might be is just a thought. Are you a person? Do you have a sex? Are you old? Young? Do you know where you are? Do you know what time it is? See, all of these are, these are thoughts. And the questions, they're not really questions. 
when we when we delve into the truth, we can see that all of these questions, they're referring to something which is actually not here. Now, it's hard to talk like this because people take me literally when I make these kind of statements. But what I'm really saying is there is nothing literal. And we're just talking here. It's very hard to talk about the truth because you can't actually say a word about it. The truth is what is looking through your eyes in this very moment. And the thoughts, they just confuse us. But once we recognize what thought is, we recognize the energy beneath the thought, we see what all of this is. It's just the spontaneous creativity of consciousness playing. Consciousness is not concerned about all the things that I am concerned about. It loves to see us play in all the ways that we play, and some of it is pretty brutal. But consciousness is not concerned. Consciousness is what we are. It loves all of this. It loves the play. It loves the dance. We have a lot at stake in our life because we believe that we are separate. We are special. We're really not special. We're just another phenomenon arising. It's funny. But when we recognize that, suddenly we're thrown into being what we truly are. It isn't about being someone. It's about being. Being as it is. It's flowing. Arising, passing away. Always new, always fresh. We hear a sound. You know, in, in ignorance, when we hear a sound, it's a horn blowing. But once we recognize what is going on here, we will hear naked sound. It isn't even sound. It is, it's a, it's a, it's, we could say it's a sensation. But, you know, any word that we put on it is just more elaboration. There is the nakedness of that experience. And then we will see the mind car horn. And then we will see other thoughts like, gee, I wonder who that is. And then it's one thing leads to another. And then there's walking to the door or looking out the window. And it's just one thing unfolding after another. All of these things that are unfolding are phenomena arising in consciousness. And they're all fresh and new, and they're all arising and passing away. Utterly gone in every moment. When we become aware of this in this way, we become aware of the momentary mind. We begin to see that mind doesn't exist as a thing. It's something that is arising in this moment. Thoughts arise and they're gone. 
We see this over and over again. And when we have cultivated our attention in this way, we begin to see it constantly. We can't not see it. Awareness is always aware of everything that is arising. It can't get away from it. You are that awareness. And the only way that you have gotten by is by pretending to not be this awareness. The only way that you have gotten by knowing the truth of who you are is through this pretense, this game. It's like hide-and-seek. When we see directly into this nature, we vanish. Now, that's not to say that there aren't images arising, the image of Todd, the image of you, but we see that this image, it's always new, it's always fresh, it's always different. This expression, and this expression, and this expression, they're all completely different. When we begin to notice that movement itself isn't actually real, we see that it isn't movement that's happening. It's constant arising and passing away of phenomena that are arising in consciousness. The truth is so immediately real and so clear. I know from my own experience of struggling for years that we need some pointing. We need some pointers. They're helpful. But ultimately, and I always say this in every talk that I give, we have to do the work ourselves. We can't depend on someone else to do it for us. We need to actually pay attention to our own immediate experience. And we have to be willing to do it ultimately to the exclusion of everything else. Then we will see that everything is perfect just as it is, even if we're suffering, even if the body is having a hard time. That's everything. Thank you. Yes. Well, I had a pretty good uh, experience recently with what you're talking about. And um, I was, my buttons were pushed once again by someone who's been pushing them for years. <laughs> and, and, and it was really actually um, from afar. I mean, I didn't even speak to the person directly. I just heard something and, I, and my mind started going. I was getting myself really, really worked up. And I've been noticing this lately, and kind of what I've been doing when it happens is just sort of trying to act cool, like, oh, it doesn't really bother me that much, you know. But um, so this one time, I found myself really, this recent time, getting, you know, really into it. And so I just, just went in and laid down on my bed. And I just watched what was happening in my mind. And um, like, man, am I pissed? Look at that. 
Boy, wow. <laughs> That's really, I mean, I was less pissed thinking right. about it, but I was just seeing, whoa, look at what's happening here. And then I felt my heart beating really fast, and I felt like all this stuff, whatever, just kind of like rushing towards my head, and I was just like, ooh, gosh. What are, you know, look what I'm doing to myself here. And, um, you know, it... I think that jewel in the in the jacket can be a dirt clod, but I guess it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. You, you know, I never really got really comfortable. You know, all I could do is watch what was happening. And, you know, I'm pretty sure it'll happen again. This person will push my buttons again. But I guess um, what seems to be happening is that just by paying attention to it, it has less and less oomph every time. And, I mean, it's kind of interesting to watch. It doesn't necessarily feel good, but, um, I don't know, I, I guess that's what you're talking about. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it doesn't feel good. And, of course, that's why we don't do it. We don't want to feel bad. We don't like feeling bad. We like feeling good. And, you know, it makes sense, but when we get into this a little bit, if we start examining our experience, we realize that feeling good doesn't help us. And really, feeling good is just conditioned anyway. We like what we like because we've been conditioned to like it. But the bottom line, though, is it's all conditioned. When someone does something, they push your buttons. That's a prime opportunity because now you're feeling bad. You just want to scream. And so rather than scream and act it out and all that stuff, to be aware, to be aware of it as it's happening. There are times where you're going to find yourself acting it out. But if you can be aware in the midst of it, it won't last very long. And, and you're right. It's something that we see, and then the next time we see it, it has less oomph. It doesn't get us quite as much. And then the next time, maybe it'll get us even worse because we thought, you know, we were getting a handle on this, you know. Yeah. And, then, and then at some point, something will happen. Someone will say something that somebody that has a history of all that kind of stuff that you were describing, and it'll just go right through you. It, it's not a problem. You know, you may see a couple of thoughts come up, but it's like they don't register with anything. They don't actually, they don't make a difference for you. And they're gone. You start to notice that thoughts, whatever it is, they arise and they're gone. Now, if you ever just sit sometime and just notice that about thought. Thought, it arises and then gone. Now, if it seems to linger, if you watch closely, you'll see it's reverberating. It's an echo of voidness. It keeps echoing itself. But you'll see it's doing that. It's, and it's doing it in a funny way. It, there's this feeling, like you were describing, that your heart's beating fast, you're feeling tense. This is a whole mind state that's presenting itself. It's emotion. It's moving, it's changing, and it's, it's 
it's very big and powerful and and then if you become aware of that you will see that all of these thoughts are bubbling up right out of that you know how could she say that very clearly it's this mind state that is generating these thoughts you begin to see that the thoughts and the mind state are really not separate at all you can see how thoughts are coalescing kind of like sort of effervescence out of the emotional state bubbling up and they become thoughts you see them it's a thought but we identify with it but when we see it in this way it's like the identification is wow look at that look at look at that that's creativity right there it's being created and i'm not doing it and it's that movement that little movement where you realize it's not you that you are there's a little bit of freedom there then you're you're more willing to just jump in anyway that's a great point thank you anybody else yes in the back uh, being reminded of a couple of little uh, methods or techniques to explore these things one of them is in the, in the realm of uh, pain versus suffering and the subjectivity <coughs> of it. and often on the cushion uh, you know, you'll uh, experience discomfort. Your back's starting to hurt, or your leg or knee is starting to ache and all that. And uh, the experiment there is to, once you're experiencing this and saying, oh my God, I hope this thing's going to end soon, I can't stay in this position, uh, you defocus on the pain of it and report it as a um, sensation. Yeah. Oh, there's a sensation in my back. Once you uh, begin looking at it as a sensation, the suffering, the painfulness of it actually subsides. Yes. And it becomes an objective observation of something going on, and it's no longer in, in, intolerable. The other one is a kind of a theatrical device, and, and, and when I've caught myself in anger, uh, sometimes uh, the technique is to overact it. It's like, get really angry. Get absurdly angry. Just shout all those things, that, you know, and then you go like... Geez, you know, you really see how this can explode in, from nothing into the most absurd situation. If you can tailor your practice to do, just like what he was describing, come up with things that work for you in your practice. It's very helpful. It's the identity to the stories that has become so real that we can't extricate ourselves from it. And the more we try, the worse it gets. We actually have to be able to observe the stories. We need to be able to observe how this is happening. And, and humor is a wonderful way to do it. If you can inject some humor into it, it gives you a little bit of space, and then you can actually open up and observe. That's Mary son. Um, I went back to Iowa over the holidays, and I spent two solid weeks with relatives. And um, I felt like I was dropped down into the, these people who are really negative, and they find fault with everything. So um, I felt like I was really braced against that. And um, I, was, I was being very helpful. I was trying to help my mother, who's 82, and she had a lot of clutter around the house, and I was trying to, you know, 
sort things out and clean things up. And, and she got really mad at me, and she said, um, you're always so negative. You're always finding fault with everything. <laughs> part of me wanted to yell at her, how dare you, you know, but the other part, I just sat down, and I, I thought, God, she sees me the way I see her. <laughs> and I... My question to you is, why did I not wake up in that moment? The story is so clear. I mean, there's that opportunity to wake up, detach. And why did I not? Why did I go on and continue suffering or bracing? Or How do you know you're continuing to suffer? How do you know you didn't wake up? I just felt my face turn bright red. Is that suffering? Well, it's it's resistance, I think. It's yeah, it's some kind of it's some kind of dwelling in the non-authentic self. It's like bracing against what is. Yeah. Oh well, you know, it's funny about that. In any moment, when you have a, a moment of suffering, you can become fully aware of it, and so there's nothing wrong with having a moment of of um, sudden identification and, f and fragmentation if you just recognize what it is when it happens. And that really is, is the crux of it, and it's, it really requires a willingness to do that. We, we become willing to feel what we're feeling, let it in, and then what happens next? We have an expectation. I wanted to wake up. Why didn't I wake up? You see, there's that, that need. We, we want something. Mm -hmm. Neediness. And the whole thing with neediness is, again, it's all about being aware of what's there. So when you're aware of the need to be awake or whatever, it's really important that you actually experience that directly. Because when you experience it directly, you don't, you, there's no, there's nothing to need. There's nothing to want. It's that movement. It's like desire has a referent until we look at it. When we sink into the desire, there is no referent. It's the desire itself that's the referent. It wants to be known. The desire wants to be known. So if you go to the desire and the desire says, gee, I really want to be awake. I want to wake up. I want to be enlightened. Then we start seeking for enlightenment. But actually the desire itself is all we need. Just go there. Experience the desire. And notice the movement to have something different. Desire is enlightenment when it is seen as it truly is. Everything is enlightenment when it is seen as it truly is. Does that Make any sense to you? Yes. That's not good then. We don't want to make sense to you. <laughs> Does that resonate with you? Okay, what, what I see is this gauge, and the gauge is like I can go over this way and I'm dwelling in the mind and all the stories, or I can go over this way where I see the stories and I'm not dwelling in them. Um, and so, why am I not going over here? Why am I keeping going this way into the story? It's the I part that's getting you into trouble here. It's the one that's wanting 
to be in one place or the other place. That's what's getting you into trouble. So, so basically then we're always, we come back to this pinnacle. It's like, well, what is this I? What is wanting? Mm-hmm. So the, there is desire and we become aware of the desire. When we really become aware of the desire, we find there is nobody there that is desiring. There is desire, but it, desire is not desire. Desire is just pure wisdom. It is, uh, it is discriminating wisdom. It's what, it's what is showing you all of this. Unenlightenment is inc- incredibly enlightened. All of this is arising perfectly without any effort. Look. And what is it? It's magic. It's, it's, it has no true existence. It's not real. It's not a thing. It's incomprehensible to us, just like the desire. When you experience desire as it truly is, what you find is you find stillness. You find this point of clear, open awareness. You find an energy that is bubbling up in this stillness, never becoming anything. We call it desire. But that's, we've, we've, we've taken, we've created a reference point. We've taken it, we've lassoed it. And now we're relating to that, and it's me. I have a need. I want something. And so we keep, we'll, we'll keep spinning in this way, and we can do it forever, unless we pay attention. Make sense? Does that help? They're not asking. No, these they're are asking. Good, good. These are trick questions. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm uh, in a field similar to yours in which medication is very important, and most of my life has been involved in that. And lately, I've developed like a tendonitis in my most usable hand. I'm trying to recognize it as pain without trying to take anything, but in the past, uh, the first nuance of pain, dang, you know, I take something. I mean, that's just been the habit. And uh, uh, so I'm trying to, and I've done okay, but I'm finding that it's impairing my um, my ability to do things because I can't open, so, I mean, I'm try- it hurts, you know, because I've used the hand so much that I'm developing, apparently, a tendonitis is very painful when I do certain simple things, and it's... I'm, but I'm trying not to take medication. I'm trying to deal with it or trying to use my other hand, but it's it's the um, it's not really going away. I'm maybe not doing it right, or uh, then I end up. At, but I do go with it for a while. I recognize it as pain. I even try to talk to it and all that, and um, then I end up after a while taking medication. It's, it's really good to be aware, like what you were saying, aware of the pain and not running for the pills instantly. One thing about this practice, though, is we do need to take care of issues when they come up. So if I'm at work and uh, I have a patient that's having severe crushing chest pain, I don't sit there at the desk and meditate on it. <laughs> so, so I, you know, so the point being, though, you need to. No, but but it's the same, you know, it's by degree, but it's the same, it's the same thing. 
So basically, you do want to be aware, but you probably need to immobilize that and not use it, you know, and maybe that means you need to strap something on and immobilize it and... Well, you know, now it isn't really, see, our, our desire for pain to go away is part of our struggle. Now that has nothing really to do with the fact that you have something that needs to be dealt with in whatever way is appropriate. Acupuncture or physical therapy or anti-inflammatories or whatever it is, you deal with those things and you watch. You watch your mind going, well, you know, I'm doing these spiritual things and here I am not being spiritual. Watch that. You see, that's, that's grasping. We're wanting something to be a certain way. We're creating reference points again. I see what, you're, I see what you mean. Okay. Yes, yeah, it. Strikes me that Pat's situation is a beautiful metaphor because, um, you know, medication is a tool. Meditation is a tool. There are all kinds of tools at our disposal. There are all kinds of alternatives, like you mentioned, besides meditation. But the function of the tool is to interrupt the conditioning response. And in, this, in the case of medication, you're interrupting a physiological conditioned response which could be called inflammation or whatever. Uh, and so it's a good tool if you apply it with that awareness. And with the meditation, you're just using that to catch that conditioning, you know, which could be mental or emotional or, or it could be physical. We've all had the painful butt problem when we're meditating, too. Good points. Yes. Okay, well then let's call it quits. Peace to you all.